Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. And before we get into this episode, I would be remiss if I didn't send a huge congratulations to my friend James Olson and Pacific Sound Radio, the longest running active Vancouver music interview podcast for reaching episode 150. Episode 150 of Pacific Sound Radio is out now. Listen to it and learn more about the show at Pacific Sound Radio. I've been producing the show with James for about a year now, and it's been so much fun. Check out Pacific Sound Radio. Happy 150th episode, James. Woo! That's a big thing that I think about. Programming, venues, people won't always remember the notes you played, the line you played, even the tunes you played, but they will remember the way you make them feel. All right, I told you I'd be back, and now I'm back. Look at that, an all-new episode for you today. This is a fun one featuring another prominent person in our scene, I would say. Again, I don't necessarily know when I'm coming back with another new episode yet. There's probably going to be one or two more before the end of this year, but very grateful to have you listening here in this era of the show's existence, and I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Here we go. guest today is a trumpet player, singer, and piano player known for leading her own groups in the trad, vintage jazz, New Orleans styles, whatever you want to call it. She does it. She's the venue booker also at Second Floor Gastown. She has three projects available on her band camp. Welcome to Trashland, the Brown Sugar Bears, and Between Then and Now. I think of her as one of the most interesting people in our scene. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Bonnie Northgraves. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the great city of Coquitlam. How are you doing? I am awake and it is a pleasure to be here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awake is a good thing. You must have had to be awake earlier this week because when we're <laughs> recording right now, you're fresh off of completing the Vancouver Triathlon. Yeah, it's true. I did it. I did it. You did it. <laughs> congrats. Um, congrats. Yeah, it's... I. I I was saying to some friends before I did the race, like, I think the hardest thing about doing this is the sleep training. Um, Because I usually get up around 10, like I go to bed around midnight or one or later, depending on I mean, you play so often, so that's like gigging musician hours. Yeah, you got to be used to being awake at that time. I think that's noble. Um, But then, like, I had to be on site at the race site uh at 6 a.m which meant like being up at five yeah so where did you start where does it start uh it started in stanley park yeah but yeah that was the hardest part was training myself to be able to get up at five when i'm used to getting up at 10 or 11 so that was like a a kind of a fun experiment (laughs) i don't know if i'll be doing that again soon (laughs) well that's like yeah that's a big difference that's like a five hour swing that's like if you were getting up at seven like you, you know it'd be that wouldn't work right it only you won't only get that swing if you're used to like the nighttime gigging life. So yeah. hats off to you for that. Well, and I played a gig until midnight the night before. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah, there, it was uh, Rhythm City Mess Around, which is this wonderful swing dance event um, right. that happens. Um, it happened this year at the Russian Hall. Usually happens Labor Day weekend. And it's put on by uh, Lucy Faulkner. Um, and... So she asked me to lead both nights, the Saturday and Sunday, or so yeah, Saturday and Sunday nights, up to midnight, 
on Saturday, wake up at five up to midnight Sunday, wake up at five and go do the race on like four and a half hours of sleep. (laughs) Yeah. So not only did you have just a gig the night before, but you, you had a pretty big gig the night before too. Like that was a big event, right? Yeah. That was a big, a big swing dance event. So yeah, it's always lovely playing for those people that are just so awesome and so warm and happy and cheerful and enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it from Dean Thiessen's stories. So he was, he was playing with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who else was playing with you? So the first night the band was Dean Thiessen on the piano, Winston Minkler on the bass, uh, Nick James on drums. I had Brent Ma on tenor sax and then myself trumpet and vocals. Yeah. That's pretty close to some of your recorded bands, right? Like I know Dean and Winston have been playing with you for a long, long time. You've got people who you've been playing with for years and years, which is awesome. Yeah. The second night, I was the same band except no Brent and we had Elvin on guitar, which is great. I haven't gotten to play with Elvin a lot, but he's just such a wonderful musician and just like slid right in there. And I was just like so blown away by his musicality. But yeah, Dean and Winston, um, I've been playing with Winston since... 2007 oh yeah wow yeah so it's been a while there's only one musician i think i've been playing with well i guess technically two musicians i've been playing with longer and one of them is josh roberts yeah and he and i have been playing music together since like 2003 2004 in high school so he would have been in grade 12 and I would have been grade 10. And there would have been like situations in our after school band program where we would have been playing music together. And then the other person is Jens Christensen, who uh, I played in the Hop and Mad Orchestra on piano when I was in grade 10 or 11. And huh. he played saxophone. It was run by this awesome trumpet player, Simon Stribling. Um, and I drive into like Coquitlam, or no, it was in Burnaby at the Burnaby golf course, like once a week with my parents would drive me in with my keyboard and I'd like get to play with all these professional musicians. It was really cool. But yeah, 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 yeah. Winston I've been playing with since 2007. Uh, Dean, I feel like I've been playing with Dean since like 2015. Yeah, not long after he would have come here. Yeah. Yeah, 2015, like something like that. We met on a tap dance tour. What? (laughs) (laughs) With who? So uh, it was this... uh, production put together by this tap dancer named danny nielsen wonderful wonderful dancer um and i had been hired for the trumpet chair and i believe johnny tobin was actually the designated piano player for that gig but there was i think one or two dates that he couldn't do and dean was hired to fill in for those two dates and i think i just heard dean like playing the piano backstage or something. I was like, whoa, I really dig the way this guy plays the piano. Like, yeah, really great. And then we played the show and I was just like, I got to make music with this person. Like, this is a person <laughs> I need to make music with. You just like, it's kind of like, they say like, when you fall in love with people, you know, you know, but also it's like when you meet musicians that you want to play music with or you have to play music, like, you know, you know it. So it's like, yeah. I got to play music with this person. This person is awesome. And uh, he's been my first called piano player, like, basically ever since. So Yeah. 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 I, I think it's essential, right? Yeah. It's, um, as musicians, I think we 
how do I say this? It's like, okay, if you're a non-musician, let's say you're a normal person who doesn't play. <laughs> I'm not married one of us, to a normal person. Not one of us crazy people. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have like those people in your life that you just have to have in your life. And I think musically, we get that on two levels where it's like the people are great people and you need to have them in your life as people. But then you also get this extra like level of connection with them because they're amazing musicians and you have to make music with them it's like this beautiful creation that's just unlike anything else yeah Yeah. now if i throw it back to a gig that i took note of that you did kind of recently like just after the jazz fest Mm -hmm. in july you played at frankie's i did you played a quintet show and winston and dean were with you you played with dean winston um, Seth Kitamura on drums and yep. Artashir on saxophone, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? It was great. They're yeah. all amazing musicians. And uh, I haven't been playing with Seth super long. I think I've maybe done four or five gigs with him on, on them. Um, but he's so musical and it's incredible to see the musicality from somebody so young. Uh, He's just very um, intuitive and his ears are so open. And so a big part of playing music and being creative and expressive to my full potential is kind of being able to play the tunes with my eyes closed, not being super on the charts, like it's in my head and I can be interacting with what the other musicians are doing. So if I'm soloing and they're doing some sort of comping, I can interact with that and have a conversation with that and play with that. And it's incredible to see that level from Seth, I think. Uh-huh. You know, he's pretty young. Yeah. Um, it's great. And so I really enjoyed that. Like I would do something and I would hear him in the conversation that's going on between all of us. And, you know, I really love that about his playing. It's really great. Um, that was my first first time playing with artist year i think Mm -hmm. um and usually i hire brent for that gig he was on tour with five alarm funk oh yeah uh and he recommended artie so i hired artie and he did an amazing job like seth's played a bunch of the tunes before so he kind of got a little bit of a head start um artie was just like reading things down and did Mm -hmm. such a great job like we had about half an hour to sit down and chat through the charts and to be like okay this is a thing you need to look out for this is a thing here's this here's that but like at the venue right? at the venue yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he like took them and went to the back room and like played a couple things like okay i think i got it nice. yeah amazing amazing yeah. amazing amazing musician so, so what did you play uh i played all my original music <laughs> nice. you have a large variety of that i do yeah yeah so my original music kind of swings from old timey 1920s and 30s i'd say probably more 30s sounding um the swing era influence yeah yeah and i write a lot of that music so that um i'm creating new content for the swing dance community primarily you know i want to honor the old tunes that were written but i also want to help keep that scene fresh because if you're just playing the same songs and that part of the art form doesn't evolve um i don't think it's doing service to anybody so i write music in that style with that kind of primary focus i like to listen to it too but 
Yeah. You know, I think it's the mindset is like the bounce for dancing. It's like you just want to be able to move to it. Um, and then my other kind of side of my compositions is more modern harmony. Um, not super. Well, I mean, I guess you could dance in your own way to it, but mm -hmm. it's not designed to be dance music. It's designed to be more artistic and I don't know. Yeah, more conceptual or more yeah. in your head kind of thing. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard to describe exactly what you mean because when you, when you lay out that difference, I know that like we don't want to make one sound worse than the other, right? Because we both had to do both those things like yeah. all, at any time or all yeah. the time. We don't think one is lesser or greater. We can have our preferences on it, but like we, you're trying to like describe the difference without doing disservice to either one of them, right? I get it. Yeah, it's such a funny thing. Like I'm part of these groups on Facebook and one of them is um an international group that's like under 50 trad musicians um and a lot of them don't play any jazz sort of after the mid 1930s kind of thing huh. and they don't like jazz after the mid 1930s kind of thing and like if you put too many substitutions into the old timey songs they get upset with you and you're mm. not a purist and you're doing it wrong <laughs> and then there's like the other side of the coin where there's people who play more modern jazz and like have no desire to listen to music from the 20s. And that's fine, like, you know, to each their own. But I'm kind of in this camp where I'm like, well, why can't you like both? Like, why can't you do both? Why do you have to be in one camp or another? Why can't you enjoy like the whole range of jazz? Yeah. Like, it's a big spectrum. Like, I want to enjoy all of it yeah well i mean you, you surround yourself with people who do like you think about That's, dean and winston again right? yeah like i mm -hmm. saw a story recently where winston's on electric bass like i never see that but i know mm -hmm. that he does it because he mm -hmm. does everything yeah yeah yeah, I think that's one of the best parts of this job is like we get to do so much stuff. Like you can play in a cover band one day and then the next day you're playing at a swing dance and then another day you're playing at Frankie's and then another day you're playing in somebody else's band and playing their original music and then another day you're playing a funk gig. Like that is one of the best parts about this job is that there's so much you get to do. And if I just played the exact same music every single day, I don't think that would be as fulfilling to me as getting to experience everything that it has to offer. Nice. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. So what does a day or a week in the life of Bonnie actually <laughs> break down to then? I mean, it's probably so hard to, to actually nail down and think about, right? But it's I mean, super, I see you playing all over the place. It's super weird because it's like, even if I say like, what does a day look like? Well, one day looks like, I don't play any music at all and I'm outside in the sunshine playing golf or training uh -huh. for a triathlon exactly. <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Or I'm just like one day I'm just listening to so much music and getting as much music in my head as I can. And one day I spend the entire day locked in my house playing piano and coming up with songs. And one day I'm like shedding on my trumpet and getting ready for somebody else's gig. Like, what does a day look like? The only thing that's consistent in what my days look like is that none of them really look the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. What does a week look like? It depends on the week. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like this week I've got a piano duo gig with Joseph Lubinsky Mast at Lawai. Um, and then on the weekend I'm heading up 
to Spencer's Bridge to play at the Desert Days Festival with Company B Jazz Band. Uh, and then Sunday, I'm back and I'm playing at Second Floor with Marcus Abramzik's trio. Uh, it's all, like, very different. And earlier this week, I played with my quintet at the RCMA Festival. So it's just, like, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but you're fully in it. You're not day jobbing or day gigging or anything you're full you're fully i have it. no day job yeah. <laughs> there is no plan for, b for how long for how long of a time period have you been that oh way? uh i quit teaching at long liquate in 2017 which long liquate were you teaching at? i was teaching at the port coquitlam one nice nice not too far from here not too far away <laughs> yeah i was teaching 65 students a week what? and like <laughs> oh, half, half hours okay no not all half hours some of them were hour-long lessons but wow. like so you're teaching was, like 40 hours a week yeah, yeah. i was teaching trumpet a, and voice and I piano was teaching, maybe at that point i was teaching trumpet voice i did rcm piano because i grew up doing the royal conservatory and like did the whole thing in the theory and all yeah. that sort of stuff uh so yeah trumpet voice I was teaching classical piano. I was teaching the RCM theory. I was also doing beginner euphonium, beginner trombone. I had a beginner bass student and a beginner guitar student. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. long did you keep up that pace of teaching at, at L&M Poco? Like years or? Yeah, it yeah. was years. I want to say it was like maybe five years wow. that I taught there. It's hard to remember because it's so long ago now. Um, let me think. That's amazing. I think I probably started there. Yeah, I think it was probably five years because I think I probably started there in like 2012. Yeah. Um, that Yeah, that was insane. Like that was a very crazy period of time where I was teaching there. I was there six days a week. Um, and then on top of that, I was probably gigging. Yeah, like I used to see three you play or at Guilty four, or wherever. Yeah, yeah, three or, or anything, four yeah. times a week as well. So, and it was just such a burnout. It was such a burnout. And when I got to 2017, I was just like, "Where is me? Where like where am? Where is me? Where is yeah, me? Yeah. Uh, where am <laughs> I in all of this? Like, I'm giving myself to my students. Uh, I'm giving myself to um, the bands that I'm playing with, I'm band leading a bit, not to the extent I am now, but back then I was band yeah. leading a bit uh, and I wasn't writing any new material. And I'm like, hang on, why did I choose to be a musician? Like what part of this did I sign up for? Like what was my focus when like as like 10 year old Bonnie was like, yeah, I'm going to be a musician when I grow up. Uh, huh. What changed like between then and now yeah. but and, okay okay and you don't real quick you don't have to like abs you don't even have to nail down a specific year but just for the listeners of different ages and stuff to put it in context for somebody who might also be feeling this way when you're at this impasse and you're deciding whether to jump out of it or not like roughly how old were you what what kind of age range were you i'm in? 35 now uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm 35 years old now and i'm super happy about 35 it was 2017 when I decided. So I was like in my late 20s when yeah. I decided to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a that's when it happens. I think a lot of people get hit with that, regardless of what they're doing around that age. But with with you, like if you look 
at where you're at now versus then like the range that you've covered in terms of what you were doing then versus what you're doing now is just incredible right so it's like it really was a super strong kind of checkpoint yeah. where now like you think about now you really probably feel you know how much time it takes to like be a band leader in the way that you are now oh man yeah. and it's like and like i'm sure a lot of people have brought this up but it was like i quit teaching full-time in 2017 it took me about three years to kind of get that trajectory going to a point where i was like oh yeah i'm like killing this this is awesome and then 2020 happened and yeah. like in 2019 i had toured europe twice um with, with was one with comedy b actually i can't remember i think i toured europe three times oh. so the first time was like in the early spring and i had gone to i think it was like may and i'd gone to tour my album for the first time and then i think later in the summer i went with company b and then again i went in the fall with my band to tour the album yeah. again your album at the time was between then and now right yeah yeah, yeah 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 so that tour was uh almost entirely comprised of like dance venues yeah because um, that was the music of that project yeah so i was going into 2020 being like all right yeah i just like toured europe a bunch with my music and i've been touring in the states and playing with all these bands and this is all great and awesome 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 and then like i'm sure it was like this for everybody but just like all that work of going from going from a full-time teaching position and gigging and then just putting the focus and the work and the money and the investment um into building yourself up and building a name for yourself it just felt like it takes the legs out of it and you know it's very much like okay i've gotta start building this up from almost the bottom again yeah but you didn't like completely reverse and go back to teaching all the time no no you were no. still committed to sticking it out and figuring out how you were gonna keep doing what you're doing but make it work yeah absolutely yeah once once i got <laughs> once i got a taste of it uh <laughs> Yeah, Once I yeah. got a taste of that feeling of like, I am in charge of my time. I'm the master of my time. I am the master of my creative output. I am responsible for everything. Um, I don't think I could go back to being on a regular. I'm like, and maybe that's going to change in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years that I will be like, I don't want to be responsible for everything anymore. <laughs> but right now it's just like, yeah. I am in charge of everything and it's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you think of yourself as a confident person? I would say so. I like to think so. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can be confident all of the time, but when I'm not, I fake it until I make yeah. it. Yeah, well, everybody has to sometimes. <laughs> Do you think you've always had that trait or is it something that you grew into when you like switched to doing band leading stuff as your main thing? Uh, I think I've always been fairly confident. I think before leaving the teaching role i did a lot more side person work so when it came time for me to be a band leader and be the personality on the microphone i think i grew into that pretty quickly but that was like a whole thing that was inside that just was like oh i can come out now okay all right here it <laughs> so, is oh so it felt natural when you were there yeah yeah once you were there it felt natural yeah 
Yeah, that may, I mean, from my enjoying your music and listening to you and watching you perform makes total sense, right? Like, I would say, yeah, that I've, I've always observed that in you. Sometimes it doesn't feel the same way they, internally as, as it mm. does, as it appears to other people, right? But yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people describe you as like a really excellent entertainer. Like, you kind of have that side of it together. There's some musicians who are a lot more introverted in how they present themselves on stage, but you know, that's a, that's a skill that's like part of the package, right? So mm. it could be something that some people have to really like consciously work on because it doesn't come naturally to them. There's some people where it, it probably does. Yeah, I don't know. I just, my feeling is like, I want to play music and have the people I'm playing the music for feel like they're hanging out with their friend. Mm-hmm. Like, I want it to be that kind of environment where people feel like they get to know me a little bit more because really like when you're playing your music for somebody or for a group of people you're really sharing a piece of your soul with them like you've created this you've arranged it you've worked with all the musicians and you have this connection with them and you're just presenting this um picture of your soul in sound Mm -hmm. that's a very vulnerable thing and so if you feel like you can have like this friendly or even warm connection where the audience feels like they get to know you a little bit and you feel like the audience is wanting to know you, it makes that sharing um, mm-hmm. a lot easier and not even easier, just like more natural. Yeah. I mean, I I was lucky enough. I had the chance to do this while you were at Rhythm City Mess Around the night before you ran the triathlon. I played at Frankie's. Um, and I always think about exactly what you described too. I, th- I think about it like, well, you were saying you have the opportunity to like share your soul and, and that moment. I think of it as you, yeah, you have the opportunity to do that. So you better do it. You know, you don't want to let that pass you by. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people have come to you f- for. So you got to, you got to deliver. And because all my music is instrumental and original, right? I feel like I have to talk a lot but i want to right like i want to tell the story behind it as much as i can even if it seems like i'm talking more than i think i should or anything like that i do ultimately want to and i like i like to talk a fair bit about about the tunes because i think it's important right because it's part of it's part of trying to make that connection yeah it's like i heard this great thing a while ago and it's that people won't always remember what you say and I take this like musically, like what musically you say. People won't always remember the notes you played or the line you played or the even the tunes you played, but they will remember the way you make them feel. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big thing that I think about when I am programming for different venues, for different audiences, on and on and on. I want to make people walk away from one of my gigs remembering how it made them feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think the, you know, communicating and talking about your songs helps people get that feeling. Like they'll be like, oh, okay. So I understand like the composer came from this point of view. And now that I see their perspective, it makes me feel this way and it makes me think about it. And that's like what art is about is making you think about it or making you feel right. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned programming. Let's talk about programming, right? Because this is another big thing. This is a role that you have. These are shoes 
that you're filling that are important shoes because it touches on what a lot of people are doing because you're booking a lot of people uh-huh. at Second Floor Gastown. Uh-huh. I am. You took the handoff from Dave Sakula in the spring of last year. So it's already been over a year and no, a half. No, yeah, a year and a half. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good chunk of time. I want to hit a few different points along the way, but mm-hmm. maybe we could start as far back as we can in your journey there because I don't mm. even really know. I just remember when it came to be and, and it was announced. <laughs> so like, how how did it come to you that you ended up booking there? <laughs> I like this story. Um, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so I was playing at second floor one night. With who? Uh, it was with my trio, so with Winston and Dean. Yeah. And Dave was there and he was like hey if you've got a moment like i need to talk to you about something and like immediately i thought i was in trouble the worst right yeah (laughs) i was like oh no what have i done because you know that's just where the mind goes i've done something bad and i'm in trouble oh no (laughs) yeah uh and then uh I guess like a day or two went by and Dave texted me and he's like, Hey, let me know when you have some time. Like, I'd love to chat with you about something. And I'm just like dreading this conversation. Oh, so you, it didn't happen that night. No, no, it no, didn't so happen that night. Wait. You had the anticipation. You had to wait. Yeah. And I can't remember oh. if we actually talked about it in person or if he messaged me about it first, but he was like, yeah, I'd like you to take over this position. Like, I think you would be a good fit for it. Um, would that be something you are interested in? And it was like, it felt very out of the blue because mm-hmm. I, I like, I thought I was getting in trouble. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, would you like to take this on? I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I yeah. would like, this seems like a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Of course I would like to take this on. Uh, so it was like, it went from like being like really, <laughs> To be like, oh, wow, okay, amazing, new cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were into it right away. Yeah, yeah, I was into it right away. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Was this before like the new year 2022 or was it like in the new year 2022? It was, I feel like it was like in the fall, late fall. Okay, so that's a good advance. That's a good Mm -hmm. amount of time. It was months. It was a few months at least before you actually started doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it took a while it took that was like a big hurdle at the beginning was getting everything transferred over and there was quite a bit of a learning curve for me because i'd never done any like website work or like i'd made facebook events but there was a specific way they wanted it done and there's all this backside stuff of the website stuff that i had to learn how to do uh and that was kind of scary at the time did but, Dave have a particular way that he had been doing it and he like tried to show you or did you like really have to figure it out? Like, what did that look like? Dave showed me a bunch of it. Um, and it was more that the venue had a specific way they wanted it done, which mm-hmm. totally makes sense. Um, and it's good to have um, an outline of how to do things. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just like learning how to do all that stuff and presenting it all. And then as I kind of got into it, I was like, okay, well, here's an idea. Like, why don't I do this? Or why don't I try this and see if this works? Or does this help? How do I get more people to shows? Can I try this? Try this? Try this different thing? Um, So, and then it was just like, once I learned how to get the ball rolling, it was like, okay, how do I mold the ball now so that it rolls better? Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take before you started shifting how you thought about that? Like 
few months like six months a year mm. like well when i first took over the position it's in like march ish right it's march, february. february march 2022 yeah, yeah. it's february um so february dave and i kind of split the bookings mm-hmm. uh and then march i fully took over and as of march i was just booking two shows a week so for march through to june yeah tuesdays and sundays it was originally a wednesday show i don't remember yeah Yeah, it was originally a wednesday and sunday and then sunday brunch so when i took it over it was just sunday brunch and the sunday evening show and the other shows are being booked by somebody else yes yeah and still are some of them right and they've gone through i think in the year and a half that i've been booking there it's gone through three different hands for the other shows so it's kind of an evolving thing yeah um yeah so for the first handful of months it was just the two shows a week and then also when i took it over there was the request like can you book jazz fest yeah to be a club series venue right for the first time Yeah. yeah booking the venue as an official jazz fest venue and like that was just a mind yeah. boggling thing for me because i was like oh my god like if my 16 year old self saw me right now she would be losing her mind and this is like a marker generally for me it's like if my 16 year old self saw this she would be so proud it's like oh i released an album yeah. my 16 year old self would be proud oh i'm touring in europe my 16 year old self would be really proud i'm playing a gig in china my 16 year old self would be losing her mind i'm booking a jazz fest venue my 16 year old <laughs> self has no idea what's going on but she's really soaked um <laughs> you know that's always kind of my measure for things it's like would it's my good, 16 year old measure. self be stoked about this i think so um and you know what uh I was hosting a lot of those 2022. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was that year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, there yeah. like m- many of the of the nights. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. That's always a tricky one because I'd like to be at the venue as much as I can, but it's also like... You're also playing. I, I also have to play gigs. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a good getting it in gear because you would have had to start doing that in like the spring and that was only a matter of months yeah that was in the period when you were trying to just figure out how to do it and then you had to book the jazz fest yeah they wanted the booking done for jazz fest i believe by mid-march yeah i was gonna say like i would be surprised if it was even april yeah so that was a whole you'd been doing it for one month it maybe yeah Yeah. maybe so that was like jump in and learn how to swim yeah go (laughs) so reaching out to people to book them like was th- did that come naturally to you that part of it like the outreach part of it it's i mean this you you do all kinds of communications as a yeah. band leader and as a teacher you would have done it too but it like, didn't feel weird it- to reach out to people because i know how i feel when people ask me to do gigs i'm always yes excited to do it and if it's a nice gig i'm always flattered i mean I, even if it's not a nice gig i'm flattered that anybody would want to make music with me so if or hire me to make my music you know so I just think about how I would feel if somebody was like, hey, do you want a jazz fest gig to get this nice venue? Um, I would be stoked about that. So I just try to keep that in mind. Like people like being asked to play gigs and people like to be asked to be mm-hmm. part of jazz fest. So uh, I wasn't really too worried about that. And like some people were obviously already booked and scheduling wise, it just didn't work out. But everybody, I think, was super nice and happy to be contacted. Yeah. This could be a hard thing to like add up in your head on the spot. So I apologize for that, but definitely not no rush. 
um, you can think about it if you think you can picture this in your head. But like, let's say, so how many how many shows? Is it four different things every week reoccurring yeah. that you're booking? Because you've got Tuesday night, yeah. Saturday brunch, yeah, yeah, Saturday no, not Saturday no, no, no. Night, it's a- Sunday brunch and Sunday night, yeah, two nights and two brunches, yeah, four things recurring. Right I think now. on the conservative side. I was thinking about this this morning because I wondered if you were going to ask me this. And it would actually take me going in because not every month has the same shows. But I think it's somewhere around like 280 to 90 shows. Yeah. Okay. I want to go another level top. over that. So if we say there's like 300 shows almost. Mm-hmm. Um, like how many people have you had to try to book to get 300 people booked? Is it <laughs> twice that? This is why I'm saying it might be hard to, to add up. Is it two times that? Is it three times that? Is it more? Is it less? I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say like that. two times that is probably conservative. And so you have to ask like at least two people for every given date? Well, not necessarily two people. It's like I ask people for a date and then it doesn't work, but then I'll offer them another date and they'll be like, oh yeah, that one works. So it's like, yes, I have to ask multiple people for dates but it's usually like oh this doesn't work for you so why don't we try and put you there and this one doesn't work for you so maybe we can swap with that person and like oh maybe i'll put this here oh you're out of town so you're coming in for a tour so let me see if i can get you in oh can i show Uh this person over here oh hey i know i booked you for this date this person's coming in out of town like do you think we could swap it so we can get them in and like people are really awesome and always try and accommodate and i appreciate that so much um but it's yeah, it's like sometimes it's just like, no, these this month doesn't work or no, this date doesn't work and this date doesn't work. And sometimes it's like, how about this date? No, how about this date? No, how about this date? Oh, here we go. We got a date. Yeah. Oh, 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 wait, no. The third person can't do it. Okay, how about this date? Oh, okay. Oh, actually, you're free for that date, you know? So yeah. it's um, it's really hard to kind of judge like how many people I have to ask for a specific date to make it work. But um generally speaking it's more than one <laughs> yeah well yeah i would i would figure yeah i mean i i'm fascinated by some of these topics and i think this is something that you know you don't always get to hear about so i i like this i i would try and ask you a couple more things like this if you're down i yeah, appreciate sure. it yeah um uh, one of the other things i was wondering is like i had this conversation with tim reinert a while ago too um where i was talking about um how far in advance i will pitch a venue like I would try and do that several months ahead of time because I would try and find the right date kind of thing, or at least I would know what date range I want to play. And I would reach out. And then I wonder like for you, you've got a lot of the times you are going to have to go out and try and book people, but then you're also getting inbound. Right. Yeah. So like there's two different things I could ask you about that. One of them is just like how much inbound do you get versus how many times you ask people? I don't think that's, quite as interesting but it's the the really the really interesting thing i'd be curious about is like how much of what you book started as inbound versus how versus stuff that you initiated and i i would guess that it would be majority stuff that you were initiating and then the inbound would fill the rest but i could be wrong am i wrong it's like shaking your head it depends on the time of the year. At some points, oh, yeah, it's true. like 50-50. At some points, it swings more one way, and at some points, it swings more the other. Um, so September, for example, is more people I've reached out to. But in the summer months, tons of people are reaching out. And 
December, tons of people are reaching out. Um, so there's a seasonality in how much inbound you get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more in the summer. More, more in spring and summer for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty balanced. I think if you look at a year in a scope, I think it's generally pretty balanced. Um, I try really hard to have some equity in my booking practices. Um, I go out of my way to encourage young or not even young, just like female musicians in general to play at second floor. Um, I kind of figure like I was given a leg up in a lot of situations where people didn't have to help me. People didn't have to offer me gigs, but they did. And it made such a big difference to my career that if I can do that for other people and give them a leg up, even if it's just like a tiny little boost, because in the scheme of things like second floor isn't a world renowned venue, but you know, that little boost to help somebody be like, okay, well, I played at second floor. So now I have a reference. Now I can get somebody to come in and take pictures of me while I was playing Mm -hmm. there or somebody can record me. And now I've got some video evidence of the fact that this gig existed and I have some promo that I can put to the next venue. You know, that's important to me to be able to do. Um, I booked my 2023 Vancouver Jazz Fest gig with a video from second floor that you booked me for in December of 2022. <laughs> Yay! See? This is what I mean! Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I try really hard to go out of my way to ask women to play at this venue just specifically because a lot of the inbound that I get is all I'm not gonna say all but very heavily balanced in the favor of male performers and it's likely to be that way just by default too because there's more of them right like proportionally in that group of people yeah yeah it's like something there's like something crazy like three percent of jazz musicians globally are female yeah. It's very, very low. It's and of very, course, very like, low. Yeah, you're involved in like the sister jazz orchestra. Like I've seen you sing and play features with them. And yeah. 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 And shockingly, that's like the only full professional all female big band in Canada. Yeah. The full thing. Because I know um Casey's band is also a professional. Yeah. So you're talking female. like the 17, 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. whole big the big thing. Yeah. <laughs> all the horn parts yeah i think as just generally something i've noticed is that women band leaders or even just women musicians who are often sidemen are way less likely to reach out and ask for gigs and i'm not really sure why that is but yeah yeah that's something i try and really um i try really hard to do is make sure that there's a balance in band leaders uh, and I also try really hard to balance booking up and coming musicians with established musicians. Because if you're an established musician, it's a lot easier for you to get gigs. As a young musician, it's a lot harder to get gigs. And like I was saying, like if I can do this and help them set stuff up, like a lot of people who reach out to me don't have albums, don't have EPKs, don't have websites. They have like an Instagram page and maybe a couple videos on YouTube. And that's a great place to start, but that will only get you so far. 
Yeah. Yeah. If somebody's reaching out to you and they're doing the inbound, and you're getting the inbound. Like, how much do you actually care about the content of their pitch or submission versus like who who you know them to be or like what you end up who you end up learning that they are and like what they're actually bringing? Like, how much how much does it actually matter to you? Like the nuts and bolts of what they actually send? Because sometimes people fuss about that stuff a lot, and some of them are probably pretty shocking like some people probably don't include anything that would be very helpful to you and that that would be frustrating right you know how much does this matter it matters to me that you send me some representation of yourself and it's a very funny thing because i noticed that the young up-and-coming musicians who are either still in university or college uh versus the established musicians like the younger ones try really hard to send me some representation of themselves Uh they're like i want to send you like even if this is a recording on my iphone which i have gotten i've gotten some audio recording or i said like hey like that's i'm I'm glad you're reaching out to me but you got to send me something like can you go have a jam and take a video on your phone i want i want to hear what you sound like please send me what you sound like um and they are pretty eager to do so and they try to the best of their capacity to do and then on the flip side i've had some very established musicians being like hi my name is so and so dave booked me here i want a gig and i'm kind of like okay well i don't actually know you (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry like i don't i can't know everybody and i know a lot more people now than i used to uh we didn't really know each other really like I would say, like certainly back a few years ago when Dave was doing it, but like and certainly until I started doing the gig list until you booked me once and stuff, we didn't really know each other yeah, that much. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. It's hard to know everybody because there's so many people. Like it's just not possible and I can't go to every show and I can't see every musician, uh, even if I wanted to. Uh, Nobody so, can. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like there's definitely a level of entitlement in some cases where i'll have people be like hey my name is blah 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 i would like a gig dave booked me give me a date and i'm like hi so my name's bonnie uh we've never met and i've never seen you perform unfortunately like can you send me an epk or your website or a video or xyz and they're like offended that I'm asking for this. And they're like, well, I'm a well-established musician in Vancouver and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's great. And I, you know, I respect that and that's awesome. But also, I've never heard you play. Can you please just send me something so I can hear what you sound like? It's going to help me from my programming. Like, it'll help me figure out where to place you. Can you please send me something? No, I'm offended. No, no, no. I don't want to play there anymore. Okay. Okay. I'm okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What else you do, right? (laughs) Yeah. And like, or I also get requests from people being like, hey, I have this six piece band I'd love to bring in. And I'm just (laughs) like, well, I think that's super awesome. Your six piece band is great. There is not room for a six piece band really in second floor. Like you're going to be blowing people out the windows because it's going to be way too loud. Uh, This is a trio, maybe a quartet venue. I'm sorry, I can't accommodate your six-piece band. Do you have a trio version? Like, sorry. (laughs) I'd love to get you in in some capacity. Do you want to do a duo thing for the brunch? Like, would you like to do a trio? What can we do? And then, like, I've had people just, like, stop responding. Yeah. Hi, are we still having this conversation? Hey, do you want to do this gig? I've got a trio opportunity. 
I get nothing back. Yeah. And they just stop responding to my email. So, you know, as is, I try. I'm trying my best. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that person who was going to come in with a large band, like they're just not ready at that point because they weren't thinking about the actual, the physical, financial, all the constraints that are at the venue. They didn't bring the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even if you don't like, because I've had out of town artists be like, okay, list of music venues in Vancouver. I'm trying to set up a two. And they just and like, spray and pray and they try them all, right? Yeah. And yeah. like, I get it. Fon- I've probably, had to cold, I'm sure you've done that. <laughs> I've had to cold call or cold email venues in Europe or in the States or try to book something somewhere else. And like, you don't have a relationship with that venue. And like, the best you can do is like, look online and see what they're programming. And you just say, hey, this is what I'm touring with. Can you accommodate me? Mm-hmm. And so I get that. Like, you don't always know, but you know sometimes you do (laughs) yeah so what now if we look it's almost two years you've been in that chair you talked about some of the goals that you have with it you've got it rolling you're playing there too every so often like especially you and josh you'll pick like it seems like once a month you'll pick like a a brunch spot to fill a spot right yeah yeah like what's something that you feel like oh this year that I'm going to level this up or I'm going to change this about like what, <laughs> what you're doing in that role. I have had the goal of having like, well, I have a couple goals. Yeah, My go first for it. goal is like, I would really love to get a piano huh. in there. I think it would elevate the venue a lot. Um, so just trying to work on a way of getting a piano up there and making it a situation that works for, everybody involved from my my position there all the way up to like the owners and stuff like that so it takes a little bit of work and fandangling um but yeah i'd love to get a piano in there because i think that would be very cool and Mm -hmm. it would be nice to have drum gear up there as well um the real problem with having drum gear is that a lot of bands don't use it uh most of the time it's not bands with drummers so that means storing in the back storage space and if you've been back there you know that the space back there is limited incredibly limited so it's really a spatial issue of where are we going to keep this because there isn't really anywhere to put it um another little dream that i've had for that venue is just to have like a weekend long festival there um so like you'd have multiple people playing in the afternoon evening like in a yeah just like all through the day kind of thing have like bunch of people do two sets and but something like that is really hard to find i don't know find find a way to make it financially feasible because it's a lot of people and a lot of money so mm-hmm. i need to spend some time brainstorming on that but that would be a dream that i would love to have like a weekend kind of jazz mini jazz festival there yeah speaking of spend some time brainstorming go back <laughs> to your own music You've got new stuff that you're waiting or preparing to record, right? Like in the winter mm-hmm. or in the new year? Yeah. So where are you at with that? Where am I at with that? <laughs> I am at the point where I'm like, this is what I want to do. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at. So uh, during the pandemic, I wrote an Alice in Wonderland suite, which I've been able to perform twice in public. 
I think maybe three times with but I think, Winston and Dean, right? Yeah, with Winston and Dean. Um, and it runs that suite runs at about seventy five. I think like a full second floor set. I think it was a full <laughs> second floor set. I can't remember because I, yeah, I think. It I mean, was I I set. went. I was there. I heard you play that at at the second floor. Yeah. Did I yeah. do the whole thing in one set? Yeah. Okay. Well, and I would I I was there, so I think you did it like both sets right like you did yeah. it twice so yeah. yeah yeah okay my mind is a blur <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that's like the alice in wonderland suite uh which i'd like to record and then i've also got a burnout suite which is just a bunch of tunes that went together during the pandemic um and then there's just a bunch of single tunes that i think are great songs that i would like to also record but anyways the plan is to record at least one new album uh in january uh the game plan at this time is to do a western canadian tour uh in april and then i'm hoping to book a european tour in september wow so the music would have to come out pretty soon after john <laughs> yeah i'm i'm one of those people that work really well with deadlines and hard cutoffs and pressure uh if i've got a lot of time to linger in things i tend to do exactly that and i just kind of like oh this is what about this what about this oh this is a nice idea oh what look at this over there oh look a bird um and i kind of just get sucked into like the fantasy land and all of the options that i could do or oh this is cool you know uh and it kind of becomes never ending if i've got a hard cutoff and a deadline and a tight turnaround i'm like all right this is what we're doing we're gonna get it done this is the date boom 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 i've got to get this done this is my job i've got to get this to this person so blah, 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 blah. and i get it done <laughs> <laughs> so tight turnarounds and pressure work really well for me that's yeah. not everybody's style but that's that's what works generally for me yeah 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 I uh, look forward to to hearing that and seeing that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We gotta we gotta talk about the game of golf before we're out of here because <laughs> I have a journey yes, with the game of golf myself, and you have one too. That's yeah. about two or three years old now, right? Yeah. It's yeah. in its infancy. <laughs> yeah. And as you know, it's gonna take. You're gonna be at it for decades, probably. Oh, right? it's or, an addiction. If yeah. you want, if you want an addiction in your life, this is the best one. Yeah, <laughs> let me yeah. tell you. It's not like it even costs more than the drinking addiction or no. anything else. <laughs> yeah, it almost as much costs that much, but yeah. 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 So I woke up one day, literally woke up out of bed, and was like, "I'm gonna start golfing." <laughs> Like, it was very bizarre if I really think about it. But I just woke up one day and I sat up in bed. I'm like, I'm going to start golfing. (laughs) And that day went on Facebook Marketplace. Because, of course, you don't own clubs at this point. No, I do not. I've never owned my own golf clubs. I have never played a proper full round of golf. Like, I've probably played, like, some little executive course with my parents or my uncle or something. Or maybe gone to the driving range for fun when they were like oh we've got these kids like let's go burn some energy and make them whack balls like Uh didn't know what i was doing so woke up that day went on facebook marketplace found a set of clubs with a bag for 125 dollars nice went to the bank took out 125 dollars drove to this person's house bought their golf clubs yeah and uh then the next day took them to the driving range and the next day took them to the drive range and the next day uh. I took them to the driving range. and like the very first couple times 
like probably the first five times my dad would come and sit with me and like my dad doesn't golf either uh but he was like stoked i was enthusiastic about something new and just like came with me and like sat on a lawn chair and was like okay that was a good one what did we do there oh like your club face was kind of open so i think the ball went that way because of that like and he's not a golfer but it was just like hanging out trying to help me as best as he could he's like all right well when you do this and you bend your elbow it doesn't work so maybe don't bend your elbow <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of thing and like at first i was like super over the moon when i could hit the ball 50 yards consistently and then it was 75 yards and then it was 100 yards like yeah. when i could get the ball 100 yards i was pretty pumped because i'd never done that before yeah. and uh then like the fall and the winter it was pretty rainy and icky and i kind of really didn't do much uh and then like i think december i started going to the driving range december january 2022 i was going to the driving range a bunch and then thomas holden was like hey i see you're going to the driving range a bunch let's go play some pitch and putt like me and christy and you will all go play nice. some pitch and putt and so in february we started playing pitch and putt and then uh i was like oh it's really mucky and my feet are getting wet so i got golf shoes mm -hmm. and i was like now i'm like a golfer because i have golf shoes <laughs> june 2022 Brent Ma took me to play my first ever full round of golf on a proper big golf course. Yeah. And like in my head, I was like, okay, so I can play like pitch and putt in an hour and a half. So probably a whole round will take us like three hours, <laughs> five hours later. And like my feet hurt and it's hot and I'm sweating. And like, the, I remember, I don't remember exactly which golf course it was, but I remember that I shot 114. That's for my bad. very first round and i was like okay all right so like new goal like get under a hundred and it worked and i worked oh, yeah. and i worked and i worked and i worked and i played a bunch of golf and i worked 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 and i got under a hundred and it was very exciting um yeah and uh fast forward to now so it's been what 14 months of like uh-huh full golf course playing i still play a ton of pitch and putt because it's good for your short game yeah uh, <laughs> central park but uh brent and i went and spent two weeks in calgary at his parents place and something we saved up for and were looking forward to for about four months as we played the banff springs golf oh. course and just like you know bucket list once in a lifetime kind of thing uh and it was absolutely spectacular and i shot a pb and i shot a 94 so All i was right. pretty stoked about that <laughs> so i'm pretty happy with where um my game is going i put a lot of work into it and it's it's like i said it's like if you want an addiction in your life this is a great one uh <laughs> you know i lie in bed and as i'm falling asleep i'm watching like little youtube golf videos on like how to improve your drive and yeah. you know we played a tobiano golf course on the way back from calgary and my longest drive to date uh is 300 yards okay uh so Summer it was day, like it's rolling a long way yeah <laughs> it was like you know it's in cam loops and the ground is hard and dry and it's a downhill fairway and i just hit a really great drive and it just rolled for days and 
got out to there and we're just driving the golf cart and going and going and going and going. And I'm like, I think this might be like the longest drive I've ever hit. And so shot scoped it and it was 300 yards. And I was just like, nice. I mean, like that's not going to happen again for a long time, but it felt really, really <laughs> good in the moment. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a, a, lots of time. You pick up the tee and like, you can still watch your ball. It's still going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. the feeling. <laughs> we hang on to those because the feeling of the ball like shooting off the course unfindably yeah. off a cliff, you know, happens way more frequently. <laughs> so you try and let go of those feelings or like when you go and hit the ball and it hits the club twice or, you know, whatever. You try and let go of those feelings and you hang on to like the amazing 30 foot putts and the 300 yard drives and, you know, the good shots. You hang yeah. on to those. There's all kinds of like cheesy analogies that we could make to like what it's like to be a musician and like the practice habits from the, but I think it's, it speaks for itself, right? Like it's another thing that you do and that you bring the same kind of attitude that you bring to it as you did with like your, your music journey too. Of course. Yeah. I think we're yeah. just like used to sitting alone and working on something. It's not a weird thing for us to go and spend time alone practicing our scales or playing like playing long tones to anyone who doesn't play a wind instrument or is a musician like sitting in a room and playing notes as long as you can hold them as playing them as well as you can seems like a very strange thing to do it's like to anybody who doesn't play golf <laughs> going to the yeah. driving range and slow motion going through your shots and filming your shots in slow motion and then sitting there watching them and doing it again and watching it and doing it again and watching it seems like a very weird thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. But the fact that you actually do that at all is an example of you bringing something that made you successful in music into it because like I've never really done that when I've played golf, but you have, right? Like you approached it with that kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because I play golf with people who are way, way way better than yeah. me and that little competitive fire inside of me is like i gotta keep up and like <laughs> right now i'm still playing from the front tee boxes and that's totally fine and that's where i should be and i'm happy to play from those tee boxes because that makes the game enjoyable for me but there is that little fire in me that's like all right we got to get better so we can move back a tee box and then we're gonna get even better we're gonna move back another tee box and then we can play where everybody else is playing from and hit the ball as far as them you know, yeah. like that's that little fire inside of me that's like, all right, we got to get better so we can keep up and then beat them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a wonderful attitude. So it's really cool to to see you bringing that not only with your trumpet, with your singing and your band leading. And and it sounds like with second floor, too, but also on the links, you know, that's a lot of fun that that you're doing that you're doing that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure because you're decked out in your Under Armour right now on a nice day in early September. Summer's not even really over yet, right? That's, I'm pretty sure that's what you're going to go do right now. So Yeah. <laughs> I'll let gonna... you... <laughs> we're going to go play Golden Eagle. <laughs> I'll let you get to that. Um, this was so much fun. Thanks, Bonnie, for joining me. Yeah, thank you it. for having me. That was wonderful. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you enjoyed it, become a member for free today at rhythmchanges.ca. It's absolutely remarkable the hundreds of people that have done this since I started speaking to you on episodes of this show. Become one of them today if you haven't already. Join us as a free member. Get the free weekly article on Tuesdays at rhythmchanges.ca. Thanks again. And until next time. 
Have a great day.